Man, God's good. Um, God spoke to me this week and kind of put my mind on something else. You know, sometimes you kind of got your mind on what you want to preach and what direction you want to go for a few weeks. And the Lord sometimes will tap you on the shoulder and say, no, I don't think so. That's what you think, but I got something else. Amen. And so we began to uh, do Wednesday morning Bible study and Wednesday night Bible study. And they kind of tied in together and they kind of coincided and it was like God was kind of tapping me on the shoulder saying, you know what, Mark, I think you need to talk about this. And so what I want to talk about is I believe uh, many of you believe we are in the last days. Amen. You believe that? Uh, I've read the back of the book, though. You don't have to worry. We do win. Amen. But uh, listen, according to the word of God, most likely, now I don't know the timing of everything, but most likely everything will get harder before it gets easier. Amen. And so one of the things that could happen is, is that things could get tougher and you and I may have to start answering harder questions. Now, I want to tell you this, mainline religions, Baptists included, are some of the worst about we've just been brought up in something and this is all we know. And many people in their faith, they don't really know why they believe what they believe. That's just what they've been brought up in. That whatever, And listen, for everybody in this room, it's a different culture. Maybe you're in a Baptist church now. Maybe that's all you were ever brought up in. That's all you know. And so you just go, well, why do you believe what you believe? Well, because that's the Baptist way, and that's what my mom and daddy were, and that's what my grandma and grandpa were, and that's what I am. Listen, that all sounds good, but that's not good enough. Amen? You and I need to be grounded in the Word of God because I believe the questions will get harder. I believe people will ask you, well, why do you believe what you believe? Why do you believe this or why do you believe that? And so there are certain foundations of the faith that I want to go over for the next few weeks. And I want to tell you this. Uh, we are going to have one of the announcements I did not do because I was saving it for this is on uh, June the 25th, I believe. Do I have the date right, Miss Mary? 27th? Okay, June the 27th, that's why I got Miss Mary here, amen. On June the 27th, we're going to have church here, then we're going to go out to the uh, to Lake Tyler, to the Green Acres, what do they call that out there, uh, pavilion, and we've rented that. We're going to have a big cookout, and we're going to do baptism in the lake, amen. Now, some of you, <coughs> here's what happens, though. A baptism's really only as good if you got people to dip in the water, amen. And I wanted to read this to you because I am one of these people. Um, I was, uh, I'm sorry, I can only, I got a one-track mind. I can only do one thing at a time here. I'm trying to get over here where I need to be. <coughs> um, I got saved when I was 15. Now, normally what would happen is I would have been baptized when I was 15. But whatever reason, like happens in churches, sometimes there's a gap in between, and sometimes people drop the ball, people don't follow up, or maybe somebody thought it got done, but it didn't get done. Regardless, I went for about two years, and I didn't get baptized. And I just kind of forgot about it, didn't put much emphasis on it, because I was like, well, I got saved, you know, and, uh, you know, preachers telling me, you know, salvation, salvation is not, baptism is not salvation, so I'm okay. But I want to hear to tell you I'm not I was not okay, and uh, then I'm reading this morning, and this was a devotional for today, 
And I thought, this just says it way better than I can say it, so I'm just going to read it to you, all right? Because here's what some of you need to know. There is a reason and a purpose for salvation, and the week before we go out there and do that, I'm going to preach to you on baptism. Why do we do that? Why is it important? What does it mean, all right? But here's just a little taste. Two of the key next steps after we choose to follow Jesus, thank you very much, uh, are to get water baptized and to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. Both are powerful and incredible experiences of this life with Christ. The choice to follow Jesus is a personal one. Your moment of saying yes to Jesus may have been done in a public setting or an individual setting, but our life with Jesus was never meant to be private. After becoming a Christian, you get water baptized because it is a public statement of aligning yourself with Jesus in his death and in his resurrection. When you go under the water, it declares you're leaving your old life. When you come up out of the water, it's showing that you are now alive in Christ. Then Jesus wants to baptize you with the power of the Holy Spirit. God does not leave you on your own, but he sends his Holy Spirit to live with and empower followers of Jesus. The Holy Spirit guides, comforts, instructs, and empowers the believer to walk in the supernatural power of God. Now, what I was missing for that two years was I did not make that public statement. And then after two years, quite honestly, I was scared because, well, now if I go down, it's gonna look, I'm going to look ridiculous. I, again, I was too worried about what, I, what am I going to look like, what will everybody else think of me, and I let that scare me and put fear in my heart. And what does fear do? It locks us up, and it locked me up. But after two years, somebody preached on it, praise God. And I said, you know what? I need to do that. It is, that is my way of standing up in front of public and saying, you know what? I'm here to tell you I have given my heart and life to Christ. I have buried the old Mark Trammell, and I am being raised a new Mark Trammell in Christ. Amen. And it is, a, it is a way to make a public statement without you having to get up and do any of the public speaking. All you could do, do is get in the water and get baptized. Amen. Now, some of you in this room, you've been saved many, many years, but you never got baptized. Or you had one of those things called an infant baptism. Now, listen, a lot of, uh, a lot of denominations do infant baptism, and it looks very much like what we do as a baby dedication, except they s- sprinkle water on the head of the baby, all right? But here's what I need to understand. Here's the way it's said in the Bible. Repent and be baptized. Now, a little baby does not have the knowledge, and is not able to repent. So you're not doing it in the right order. So maybe you had an infant or a baby baptism, and then you got saved. I'm not here to argue with it. I'm just here to tell you, if you're going to do it biblically, you need to get baptized again because it needs to be repent first, understand where I am, come to the age of accountability. What is the age of accountability? Is it a certain age? No. It's when you are able to understand and comprehend, Jesus died for me, I'm a sinner, and I need Jesus as my Savior. Once you're able to comprehend that, you are at the age of accountability. And then it says repent, ask for forgiveness for your sins. Repent means turn the other direction, turn away, and be baptized. So you really, to do it biblically, the baptism has to be after the repenting. Amen? All right? So what am I telling you? There, and don't you feel bad because, again, I was one of them. In the crowd of this size, maybe even half of you. Half of you have been saved. Most likely about half of you or maybe a little less than half of you have never been baptized. And that's okay. Nothing to be scared of. It's nothing to be ashamed of. You just need to get it right. Maybe it's been years. Maybe it's been 20, 30, 40 years. doesn't matter. It's never too late. It's never too late to do the right thing with God. Amen. So guess what? We are having an opportunity 
and uh, I need some people to dunk. Amen. And uh, we we had some people saved. Uh, we had some people saved during our revival. We're going to baptize them. But some of you in this crowd, I'm looking at you. I'm looking right at you, and I'm talking to you. Some of you need to be baptized. It may have been years. That's okay. We will not embarrass you. I guarantee you, you won't have to say a word. I will tell you, getting baptized is just like getting married. I married a couple. I've been marrying people every weekend just about. And I stood right here, and I told them, and they were worried about the only thing they had to say during the whole thing was repeat after me. And it was three words at a time. I tried to do it real slow. But I told them, just take your time. Go real slow. Doesn't matter what happens up here. I guarantee you, by the end of it, you will be married. Amen. Come to get baptized. Don't have to say a word. I will get you in the water. I will hold you under the water. And whatever happens, you will be baptized. Amen. You don't have to do anything. Again, it's a wonderful way to just make a silent testimony to say, I have given my life to Christ, and I'm not ashamed, and I want everyone to know. So plan on doing that. Uh, I'm going to start signing people up today. So after the service, come see me. Say, Brother Mark, I need to get on the list to be baptized. You'll bring a change of clothes, get in the lake, get dipped, and then uh, we'll go on. We'll have a great time. Amen. Here's what I'm going to talk about today. In the Baptist church, how many of you in here, you good old, you good old Baptists, amen? Good old Baptists. The preacher today is going to talk about healing in the Baptist church, amen? Woo, have mercy, have mercy, amen? Some of you Baptists might want to get loosened up, amen? You might get a little Pentecostal in you, amen? Does God still heal people? What was that? How many of you believe that God has the ability to heal somebody? Raise a hand. All right, now put those hands down. How many of you have prayed that he would heal you or somebody else and it didn't happen? Be honest. Probably everybody in this room again. How many of you have earnestly prayed with everything you had that God would heal you or heal a loved one and it just didn't happen? Yeah. So what's up with that? God, what, what's up with that? Why does God, why, and sometimes we can use it and we get a little jealous. And we may say, well, Brother Kelly over here, he prayed for healing and God miraculously healed him. And I mean, we had such a joyous time rejoicing and it was wonderful. God got all the glory and God healed him. And then I needed healing from something and I prayed to God. And it was like God just completely ignored me. And it did not happen. God, why do you love Kelly more than you love me? God, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with my prayer life? What's going on with me that you would not heal me, but you would heal Kelly? Do you see where I'm going with this? It can create jealousy, bitterness, and anger towards God because we say, well, God doesn't listen to me. God must not love me like he loves Kelly. And nothing could be further from the truth. Could I say that? Let me set that right here at the beginning today. That God loves you more than you will ever know. Whether he healed you or he did not, whether he answered that prayer or he did not, God loves you unequivocally more than you can comprehend and more than you can understand. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. So we need to understand what happened. One of the biggest tensions today for many Christian people is when we know he can, but he doesn't. God does not always choose to heal. When we know that he can, but he chooses not to, it brings confusion, it brings questions, 
and it brings doubts. Many times our fear, our faith, I'm sorry, our faith can waver because God didn't show up like we thought he ought to show up. Now, can I tell you sometimes that God does not do things the way that you and I think he ought to? You ever experienced that? And God's answer is not always your answer. And God's timing, almost all the time, is a lot slower than your time. Amen? One of the biggest things... Sorry, the devil's giving me a scratchy throat because he don't want you to hear this this morning. Amen. You need to understand, there's, God does not always choose to heal. God does not always choose to answer you with a yes. Does God always answer your prayers? Yes. Now, if you've sat under any of my preaching, you better say yes to that. Amen. Because I've told you this many, many times. He always answers the prayer. It's just about 90% of the time, it ain't the answer we like. If I ask you a question, what are your options? Yes, no, maybe, not right now. Why do we not want to give God the same courtesy? See, God always answers your prayer. It's just many times the answer is no, not right now, or what was the other one that said? Maybe, yeah, maybe, all right? So you need to understand God has all those same options that you do when it's time to answer. And why would God do that? Why would, why would God say no? Any thoughts on that? Why would God say no to what your prayer request is? Do what? He knows what's best. And that is easy to say, but it's hard to live, isn't it? That is hard, hard, hard to live and say, Lord, I give it over to you. It's not the answer I want, but you know what's best. Listen, understand that there were many healing miracles in the Old Testament. Hannah had a miraculous birth. Elijah raised a boy from the dead. Uh, God healed uh, Nebuchadnezzar's insanity. Uh, at the Gospels, in the Gospels, there are at least 30 different healing miracles. But guess what? Only 30 were written down. It's implied that hundreds more took place that we didn't have room for in the Bible. All right? So there were literally hundreds of miracles uh, that happened in the, uh, in the Gospels. All right? Uh, let's go over a few of them. Jesus healed the blind, he opened deaf ears, he healed the lepers, and he raised the dead. In Acts, now some of y'all may think this today, Paul preached for so long that a boy named Eutychus fell asleep because Paul was preaching so long, and he was in a second-story window, and he fell out of the second-story window, and he was dead. And then Paul had to stop preaching, go outside, and raise Eutychus from the dead. Amen? Now some of you may say, Brother Mark, don't you dare preach that long. Amen? Uh, that's pretty long preaching when you preach so long the boy falls out the window dead. Amen. But uh, you, we've got to understand uh, that, uh, and then there was uh, uh, many other instances. Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law. There were many, many things. Let's go to our first scripture. John chapter 14, verse 12. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to my Father. Now, who is he speaking of here? He, and he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, there is a trinity. Now, you and I as Baptists, we're real big on the first two parts of the trinity. But the trinity is three equal parts. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, right? 
Now, as Baptists, we real big on the Father. Oh, yeah. I'll talk about God all day long. Amen. He's the Father. He created it all. He's good. Amen. And the Father sent his one and only Son. But guess what? You can't have the Father, and then you've got to bring in Jesus the Son, because Jesus the Son is your way to salvation. He's the one who left his throne in glory, left everything in heaven to come, and willingly sacrificed himself as a final sacrifice for your sins and my sins. But you can't have the Son without the Father. Now, get, now here's the third one. The third one is Baptist. <laughs> yeah, I'll talk about God the Father all day. I'll talk about Jesus all day. But that Holy Spirit, sometimes we even call him the, the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's a little, that's a little bit too, it makes me uncomfortable. It gives me chills. That's that supernatural stuff. I don't want, listen, this, the Holy Spirit is on equal standing. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Each one serves a purpose. God the Father had to send God the Son. God the Son had to willingly come down and pay for your sins and my sins. And then the Holy Spirit had to be there because just like Jesus said, I've been limited here. He says, the works that I was able to do, you'll be able to do also. But you won't be able to do them because of me because I won't be here anymore. I have to leave so one, and this is out of Jesus' own mouth, so that one greater than me can come. That's out of Jesus' own mouth. One greater than me can come. The Comforter, the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is there because the Holy Spirit has a unique ability. We're in a room here. Uh, I don't know how many are here this morning, 75, 80, so. And the Holy Spirit has the ability to reach in and move and draw each and every single one of you simultaneously. You see, Jesus was limited. Jesus was one man. And he was all God and he was all man, but he was still only one man. And his sphere of influence could only be so much. That's why he had to get 12 disciples, because he knew he couldn't do it all. And he knew when he left, he was going to have to leave those disciples to carry on his church. Amen? And they were going to be able to spread out and spread out and spread out. But here's the thing. The Holy Spirit has the unique ability to draw hundreds, if not thousands, if not millions of people to the cross and to the gospel simultaneously all at the same time. And the very first time it happened, you remember, the day of Pentecost. Peter stands up and preaches, and it says that Peter was full of the Holy Spirit. And what happened? Anybody remember? How many people got saved? 3,000 people. Never had they seen that before. When Jesus was here on earth, here's what the disciples understood. Peter gets up and preaches, and 3,000 people come to know the Lord. When Jesus himself was walking the earth, that never happened. Never even close. He fed 5,000, but there never been that many people saved simultaneously. And those disciples knew, oh, this is what he was talking about. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. Where 3,000 people can simultaneously feel the Spirit of God at one time and respond to it. Amen? You and I are blessed you and I think, oh, wouldn't it have been great to be able to walk with Jesus in the flesh? Yes, no doubt, it would have been. But guess what? You and I live in a greater time. You and I live in a time where the power of the Holy Spirit can draw people. And he is there to guide you and to lead you. And one of his greatest uh, jobs, to seal you until the day of redemption. Amen? So, does God still heal people? Yes, he does it all the time. 
All right. Many people, when God does not heal them, say this. Well, if God can, why didn't he? I'm still here dealing with my depression. Amen. Big one for today. Big one for today. I'm still here dealing with my suicidal thoughts. That's a hard one. I'm still here dealing with my addiction, and I cannot seem to shake it. I'm still here, and I'm having to deal with my sickness. So why, God? Where are you, God? Are you not hearing me? Where are you, God? Now listen, many of you may say, I felt that, but I, I couldn't dare share that. People would think I'm not spiritual. Listen, you're in a safe place today, and I want you to understand, those are natural feelings. Many of us have to deal with that many times. And we have to struggle with why, God? Where are you, God? And so we need to understand. Listen, put that next slide up. Our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. This is, a, this is a hard statement right here. Our God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. And the hard part is, when it's you, he chooses not to heal. It's, it's kind of easier to see it when it's somebody else. Well, you know, poor Kelly, you know, God chose not to heal him, but God's got a reason, Brother Kelly. And bless God, he's going to get all the glory. Amen. I can say all these really spiritual things, and I can give all these little cute Sunday school answers to Brother Kelly, but that still don't make Brother Kelly feel like, why, God? Where are you, God? I cried out to you. I cried out all night and all day. I have, I have stormed the throne of heaven with my prayers, and it's like you haven't even heard me. It's very, very difficult. So we need to understand, God heals, but he doesn't heal everyone all the time. Paul talked about his thorn in the flesh. Do you remember that? Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh, and it does not ever tell us what it is, but it does say that Paul made the comment, I have brought it up to you three times. Now, does this mean three individual times, or does this mean three seasons of praying? I don't know. But Peter says, I barraged heaven. I barraged the throne asking you to take it away from me three separate times or three separate seasons, but you chose not to remove it from me. And do you remember what Paul said? Because he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. That's what God told him. My grace is sufficient for you. All right? Let me give you these things, and then we'll be done. Three reasons that Jesus didn't do miracles. We, we always want to concentrate on Jesus did all the miracles, and we see all the miracles, but Jesus didn't always do miracles. Jesus didn't always heal people. Jesus did not always do the uh, feeding of the 5,000 everywhere he went. Jesus didn't always raise the dead everywhere he went. There were certain things that had to be in place, and there were certain reasons why Jesus didn't do miracles. All right, number one, and I want you to write these down, or you can take pictures of it, whatever you want to do, because this is good stuff. Number one, Jesus refused to perform miracles to prove himself. Jesus was not a circus act. And sometimes Jesus realized the crowds would get big, and Jesus would realize most of these people are not here for the right reason. Most of these people are here because they want to see the show. They want to see the Jesus circus. And Jesus said, I'm not a circus. I'm not here to perform miracles. I'm not here like a trained dog to perform at your will. If I do a miracle, I'm doing it for a very specific reason. 
And he said, I'm not trying to do it to prove myself to you. All right, Mark chapter 8, verses 11 and 12 is the scripture for this. It says, then the Pharisees came out and they began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him, in verse 12. But he sighed deeply in his spirit and he said, why does this generation seek a sign? Now, I want you to forget that he's talking to a, a generation 2,000 years ago. I want you to pretend he's saying this to you right now. Pretend like I'm Jesus, and I'm going to say this. Why do you seek a sign? Why do you need a sign from me? We're real bad about it ourselves all these years later, aren't we? Lord, if it's really you, make the air conditioner come on right now. Lord, if it's really you, make Martin's hair turn gray right now. Lord, if it's really you, and we, we want to put God, give God all these little tests, and, and we want these signs. Well, Lord, I'll do it for you if you'll give me this sign right now. And he literally called them a perverse generation. He said, why do you need a sign? Why do you always need a sign? Can't you just obey me because I said obey me? Can't you just love me because I gave my life for you? Can't you just do all these things? He said, assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. All right? Number two, so Jesus refused to perform miracles to prove himself. Number two, Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. Matthew 26, 53. It says, or do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Now, do you know what this scripture, where Jesus said this? He's standing in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, here's what happened. Right before this happens... Uh, they come to arrest Jesus. You remember this story? And Peter, Mr. Act First, Think Later, says, not my Jesus, uh-uh. And he takes his sword out, and he swipes the ear off of Malchus, you remember? And he just cuts his ear off. And Jesus says, Peter, 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 oh, Peter, come on. And, you know, the ear goes rolling off into the bushes. Everybody's got to go find the ear. Jesus says, find the ear, y'all. Find the ear. And they got to all search around. They finally find Malchus's ear over there. Jesus says, bring me the ear. And Jesus just takes Malchus's ear, and he just <laughs> super glues it right back on. Amen? Jesus performs a miracle right there. Now, do you think Malchus was pretty thankful for that? Do you think that Malchus was pretty astounded by that? Do you think that everybody standing there watching that was pretty astounded by that? But then Jesus turns right around and says, yeah, I can, I can put ears on. I can raise the dead. I can do all that. But he says, do you not think that right now, right now you're here to arrest me and put me on a cross and kill me. Do you not know that I could call 12 legions of angels right now and they could smoke every one of y'all? And I could just be taken up to heaven and get right out of here. Do you not know that I could perform that miracle right now? You think putting an ear back on is a big deal? I could have 12 legions of angels just swoop down here right now, smoke all of you, and take me straight to heaven. But he says... That is not in the will of my Father. This is what I must go through. Jesus knew the cross had to happen. So he could have done that. He could have performed a miracle. But he said that would be interfering with God's plan. There is a plan of salvation. There is only one way. I have to die on the cross. I have to spill my blood. And so I am not going to interfere. You remember how he prayed it in the Garden of Gethsemane? Lord, if there be any way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Amen? All right. So, uh, number two, Jesus never performed a miracle that interfered with God's ultimate plan. And number three, 
Jesus didn't do miracles where there was no faith. Jesus didn't do miracles where there was no faith. Now, if you go to the Holy Land, if you go to Israel, it's not that big of a country, but there are certain areas, and you can go and you can see where all this happened in the Bible. But the, in the center kind of is Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was the religious center. But you know where Jesus could do the fewest amount of miracles? There were two places. Number one, Jesus went to his hometown, and he could not perform miracles in his own hometown. You know why? That's just that Jesus. That's, that's Joseph and Mary. Yeah, the carpenter guy. Yeah, the guy that builds those shelves. Shelves aren't even any good. Yeah, Joseph, you know, terrible carpenter. Jesus, now I don't know what kind of, you know, he was Jesus. He probably built good shelves, but maybe, you know, I don't know what the opinion was of Jesus and Joseph's carpentry building skills were. Uh, but, you know, that's what they thought of him. That's just the carpenter's boy. And he's not even that great of a carpenter. You know, and he walks around talking about all this crazy stuff. He's nuts. The guy is nuts. Amen. This is what the people in his own hometown thought of him. They didn't think he was the Messiah. They didn't think he was the son of God. So where there was no faith, no miracles. And then he would go up to Jerusalem, but he never, even though Jerusalem was a religious center, he never spent a lot of time. He was killed there, and he was killed near there, but uh, he could not perform any miracles because they hated him. They wanted him dead. They certainly did not believe he was the son of God, and they certainly did not believe he was the Messiah, and so there was no faith. But then if you go from Jerusalem, you go Bethlehem, then you go Jerusalem, and so if you keep going north, you come to the Sea of Galilee, and you come to all these little towns around the Sea of Galilee, and that's where he called the 12 disciples. That's where he performed most of his miracles. That's where he spent most of his three years of ministry because, you know what, all the religious people stayed down south. And guess what was up north? Rotten, stinking sinners. Lost people. People so lost that they even knew they were lost. Then people up north, they're so lost, they even admit they're lost. They admit they're sinners. Yeah. And guess what? Jesus found, I can do more by going to dinner with a bunch of prostitutes, tax collectors, and dirty, rotten, stinking sinners. And I can do more by having dinner parties with those people than I can do with any of you religious people. Mm -hmm. And guess what? God still saves dirty, rotten, stinking sinners, and you and I ought to be so proud. Amen? Now, maybe you're perfect. And if you are, I bow at your feet. Amen? And uh, God bless you. Amen? But if you struggle and you're a rotten, stinking sinner like me, praise God. Amen? So, um, your faith moves the heart of God towards healing. Let's look at a few from the Bible. Remember the woman that was bleeding, and she said, if I could only touch the hem of his garment. Now, she didn't even say anything to Jesus. It's a crowd pressed around Jesus, and this woman has this bleeding issue, and she's been bleeding, it says, for 12 years, and she knows if I can touch just the hem of his garment, I can be healed. Never interacts with Jesus, never has a conversation with him. Jesus doesn't even know she's there. But all of a sudden, she crawls on the ground, just gets close enough to reach out, and she touches the hem of his garment. And do you remember what the Bible says happened? Jesus immediately knew whew, power went out from him. Never saw the lady, never had a conversation with her. He immediately senses power has gone out from me. And he turns around, and he looks for the lady. And she says, I knew if all I could do was touch 
the hem of your garment, I would be healed. You know what Jesus said to her? Go your way. Your faith has healed you. Second one, leprosy. The man who had leprosy came and he fell at the feet of Jesus and he worshiped. And Jesus heals the man with leprosy. And you know what statement he makes at the end? Go your way. Your faith has healed you. All right. Then we have the blind man. The blind man screams out, screams out, Jesus, son of David, son of God, Jesus, have mercy on me. And Jesus tells him, what do you want me to do for you? Jesus gets to the point, asks him the question, what do you want me to do for me? I want you to give me my sight. I want you to make me whole. And then he says, your faith has healed you. And all three, Jesus makes the statement, your faith has healed you. All right? Now, look at this statement right here. And this may be the best statement in the whole deal right here. Faith doesn't rest on what God does or doesn't do. His character is good no matter what. He proved that on the cross. Faith does not rest on whether God heals you or doesn't heal you. Faith doesn't rest on whether God say yes or no. Faith does not rest on whether God answered that prayer the way you wanted him to or not. God is good regardless of the answer of the prayer. Can I get an amen? God is good regardless of the answer. Maybe the answer you don't like it, but I'm here to tell you God is good in spite of whatever he chooses to do. We have to learn to do just like we said earlier. God, you know what's best, and I trust in you regardless. Amen? Now here's the real kicker of this whole sermon on healing. Give me the next slide. Every person God ever healed in Scripture, guess what? They died. He raised Lazarus from the dead. It said Lazarus been in there so long he was stinking. He'd already started decomposing. He comes out stumbling in the grave clothes. He's wrapped in the stuff going, what in the world happened? And he stumbles out. Mary and Martha jump all over him. Jesus uh, hugs him. And it's a great big production. And I mean, no telling how many people come to the Lord because of what they just saw. Uh, Jesus just raised, did you hear about that? Did you see that? Were you there? Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, here's the really sad part that nobody tells you about. Lazarus, at some point, got sick again. And Jesus didn't show up this time. Guess what? The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Now, poor Lazarus, he had to experience it twice. He got to stinking this time, and he did not get up. Everybody that got healed eventually died. Now, here's the, here's the fact of the matter. I want, I want you to look me dead in the eye. You will always receive your healing. Look at me. You will always receive your healing. Unfortunately, some will receive it this side of glory. Some will receive it on the other side of glory. All right? But there is always healing. There is always. God does not always choose to heal on this side, though. Because sometimes God is way more interested in, his, in God getting the glory than he is in how long you live. Listen, would we all like to live to 100? Yes. Is that reality? No. I hate to burst your bubble. You make it to 100, you better praise God and better kiss the ground. Amen? Some people I know have made it to 100 or close to 100 and they wish they had not lasted to 100. 
because their body is so wore out at that point. There's so much sickness and disease, and they've already outlived everybody they love. Yeah, yeah. So what do we do? We end up wanting to pray people out of heaven, and sometimes the people themselves have to say, stop praying that. I'm ready to go. Amen? Now, it would be wonderful if we could just all live like Methuselah. But I'm here to tell you, I don't know what kind of shape Methuselah was in when he got that old. Amen? I'm here to tell you, he was probably pretty wore out. All right? But you need to understand, there is this side of glory and there's that side of glory. And you know what death is? Death is just like a screen door. You ever come in out of the outside and you open that porch door and you walk inside? That's all death is. You're coming out of what is temporary, and you're just opening that door. And you walk it. You ever notice summertime, August, 105 degrees outside. You've been outside, sweat pouring off of you. And you open that back door. You step into that AC and that air conditioning. Woo, thank you, Jesus. Amen. It feels so good. And you go, thank the Lord I was born in a generation of air conditioning. Amen. And it's like you just stepped out of hell itself into heaven itself. Guess what? That's what it's going to be one day. Death is just a door. And it's just a door to step through from one to the other. Amen. And I'm here to tell you, what is the key then? you got to be ready at all times. Should we pray for healing? Yes. Should we pray as if God's going to heal every time? Yes. But we should also understand God's got a reason for everything. God's got a reason for the timing and the purpose of everything. Even the day you die, God has a reason for that day to be your day to die. That's hard to swallow, isn't it? But it's true. God has a reason. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? I want to make this statement, and this is what we all need to understand. I believe God can. Say that. I believe God can. I believe God will. Say that. Even if he doesn't. One more time. I believe God can. I believe God will. Even if he doesn't. Remember the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And they said, we're gonna, you put us in that fiery furnace, and we believe there's going to be another man walking in that fire with us. But even if he doesn't, we will praise our God. Amen. Julie's going to play just a little bit. Maybe today you say, Brother Mark, I'm not sure where my salvation is. I'm not sure if I know for sure where I'd go if I were to die right now. I always want to give you an opportunity. So if you would, if that's you and you say, Brother Mark, I'm not sure where my standing with God is right now, and I want to get that right, would you just pray this prayer in your heart and mind? Say, Dear Jesus, I ask you into my heart. I admit that I'm a sinner, and I ask you to save me. Lord Jesus, I love you. I give my heart and my life to you. Now, every head bowed, some of you have already done that. But some of you, maybe that was the first time you've done that. Would you just slip up a hand so I could pray for you? Thank you. Thank you, brother. Anyone else? All right. Now, I'm going to do something a little bit different tonight, and I asked the praise team to pray for me because this will make a lot of Baptists nervous and it will take you out of your comfort zone but quite honestly many of us as Christians we need to be taken out of our comfort zone if you're here today and you need healing physical, spiritual, mental emotional, maybe it's an addiction 
it could be just about anything. It doesn't matter. If you would, if you're here and you need healing for something, I just want to ask you to stand. Just be bold enough. I'm not going to embarrass you. Just, just stand if you need healing from something. And I'm going to start with my mom. Many of you know my mom, and I don't want to embarrass her, but I'm going to anyway. Uh, you know, I want to practice what I preach. So I'm going to pray over my mom. And I'm going to pray for healing for her. Many of you know she had a stroke back around Thanksgiving. And we've been praying, but we want to pray, and I want to pray here publicly for her. And I want to lay hands on her, and I want to ask God, heal her. God, heal her. I believe you can. I believe you will. But I choose to trust in you no matter what. No matter what. Now, I'm going to ask those of you who are not standing to look for somebody that's close to you. And, uh, again, this is very biblical. It talks about laying on of hands and praying for somebody. So I want all you others, find somebody that's standing near you, put a hand on them, and we're going to take just a moment, and we're going to pray for these folks. And you say, well, I don't know what to pray for them. That's okay. doesn't matter. Just pray that God's will would be done, that the healing, they're standing for healing, so pray for healing in whatever they're going through in their lives. So just move towards one of these that's standing, if you would. And let's just take a moment in silence to just pray for those that are struggling. So we're going to dismiss this way down. I'm just going to pray over everyone. Just stay where you're at. I'm going to extend the hand towards everyone. Father, we just pray today, God, we pray for the ultimate healing for everyone in this room. God, as the verse says, it's appointed unto every person in this room wants to die. We all have an appointment. But God, until that day, Lord, we want to bring you glory and we want to uh, honor you with every breath we take. So I pray that, God, you leave us here as long as you need us here. That, God, I pray that, God, you'd bring healing. Lord, give us everyone as, as long as is possible, but we never want to get in the way of what your will is. We never want to get in the way of anyone's home going. We never want to get in the way of you truly doing a work in people's lives, God. And, Lord, I thank you that we don't have to fear death. Death is just passing from one thing that's temporary into something that's eternal for the rest of our life. And, Lord, we look forward to heaven. This world is not our home. We're just a passing through, Lord. And we thank you that our home is in glory. Our home is in heaven. And we stand on the name of Jesus and we stand on his healing. Lord, have your will and your way bring healing to every person standing in this room needing healing. We just pray it in the name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. God bless you guys. I hope you have a great rest of your Sunday. Amen. I'll see you next week.